one way or the other, the person who's sick is going to be going through this terribly hard time. And she went through it with me. Like she was putting in work with me. So it's almost like we were in the trenches together for sure. And even though we were kind of fighting each other at first, like we were still there together. I came out on the other side and like I realized that she was there with me the literal entire time. That obviously is going to build the bond. Hello, and welcome to Equip to Recover, where we explore the intersection of recovery stories and eating disorder science to show you that recovery is not only possible, it is so worth it. I'm Christina Safran, and today I'm so excited to be joined by an inspiring mother-daughter duo, J.D. Olette and Kinsey Dahlbeck. J.D. is our incredible director of lived experience at Equip Health, and she's a coach for parents and caregivers of children fighting an eating disorder. She considers herself an expert by experience after her daughter, Kinsey, was diagnosed with an eating disorder as a teenager over 11 years ago. Uh, Kinsey is joining us to share her journey of living with and now recovering from an eating disorder. And thanks to her mom's heavy hand in her treatment, she's now living in a strong and active recovery as an adult. She recently became a new mom and is also studying for her master's in clinical counseling. So together, J.D., Kenzie, and I can attest to the power of family-based treatment, also known as FBT. It's helped them work through an eating disorder together as parent and child and to get to a place where they now inspire other families to heal. And I'm so excited for you to listen in as J.D., Kenzie, and I discuss ways to strengthen, deepen, and navigate your recovery from an eating disorder. Welcome. It's so nice to have you both here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, really good to be here. Tell us more about, you know, the journey to being diagnosed with an eating disorder, uh, Kinsey, and your treatment experience. Maybe you can start off and your mom can uh, share share her reflections as well. Yeah, so I was a senior in high school when I was diagnosed, and it didn't take super long, thankfully. I had a really good pediatrician, and my parents were pretty, like, on top of it. But I wasn't aware that I was sick. Like, I didn't know anything was wrong in my mind my sick mind, everything I was doing was like completely normal and like rational, even though it was not at all. I guess it happened sort of like a healthy lifestyle makeover type thing, exercising, eating differently than I had been before. Um, And I think it was just triggered by a little bit of weight loss, kind of flipped the switch in my brain, um, which is how it started. And then I, I went into FBT pretty soon after that. So my mom probably has more to say about that, but that was basically the journey. It wasn't, uh, there wasn't a lot to it. It just happened very quickly and I declined super quickly. So yeah, from my perspective, now that I have been in this world, we are weirdly lucky that she got so sick so quickly because there was no, um, you couldn't not see it, right? Some people have a little bit of a slow burn and you could be, you know, you're sort of confused about what's happening. Um, pretty quickly, it took about four months to get the diagnosis and get into the program. And um, knowing what I know now, even the four months, again, she had a great pediatrician and all of that sort of thing, but we did spend some time ruling out some of the physical symptoms she was having, inability to eat gluten, lactose, things like that. Now that I know what eating disorders are, I'm kind of like, oh, that should have actually been the first thing we looked at, you know, versus the other stuff. But um, we were very, very lucky and privileged to, you know, have access to a great pediatrician, a great program, insurance to pay for it, all of those sorts of things. And there is no such thing as an easy eating disorder journey. 
So that was certainly true as well. Yeah. And I would love, you know, Kinsey, I I know sometimes we block out a lot of the memories of (laughs) being in treatment, especially when your brain is so malnourished. You don't remember everything super well, but talk to me about your experience with FBT. Uh, I imagine it it wasn't necessarily a pleasant one at the time. (laughs) No, definitely not. Uh, I, like I said, I didn't really know what was happening. So the first thing I remember, like I went into the program on a Saturday and which was like their family day. So I, my parents were there as well. And I genuinely was like driving there, like didn't think there was, I'm like, okay, well, I guess we're gonna like go do this thing. That's fine. And then they put a plate of food in front of me and said to eat it. And that's when I was like, oh, I see that there's a problem now. Um, and I think that kind of just started, kickstarted the whole struggle because it became real to me in that moment. I was like, oh my God, like there is, like, what am I gonna do? I can't, I can't do this. So in the beginning, a lot of it was, I guess, just driven by the fact that I had to be there. And, you know, the family therapy, stuff like that. It was a little interesting for me, because I didn't necessarily vibe with like, the therapy aspect of it. Because I like I said, I didn't even know anything was wrong. It wasn't. I didn't have any background of trauma, or anything like that. So it was a little weird getting used to like being in therapy, especially with my parents. I was like, what are we talking about here? Like, a little, a little weird. Um, but I think it mostly came into play at home when, you know, there was no other people around and it was just my parents making me eat where the struggle really started. That basically continued most of the time until, you know, until I was a little bit more weight restored and things were clicking for me after a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to say that, um, you know, when we when we showed up at UCSD for our intake appointment, um, I really thought they were going to sign us up for the three night a week program for high achieving parents who caught it early. And then they're like, um, that doesn't exist. And also your kid is way too sick for that. We need you to pull her out of school completely out of her senior year of high school. And I give really um, a lot of credit to the intake coordinator for helping me in the space of 30 minutes, wrap my mind around that is a very, very big thing to do. Um, And also I was very, very terrified. So I did the thing and that turned out to be such a wonderful decision because I have a lot of friends who had that same appointment and were like, "Mm, a little extreme there, you know, so we're going to go and we're going to try something else. And then there were sort of back a year later and, you know, the longer it's in play, the harder it is to recover from it. So how do you tell families now who are struggling with that same thing? Because it's super common, as you mentioned. I just think you have to think of it as the deadly illness it is. And so you really have to put it in the framework um, of, and we use this analogy a lot, right? What would you do if your kid got a cancer diagnosis? And I actually have a friend now whose kid has had first an anorexia diagnosis and then a cancer diagnosis. And she's like, use that metaphor because it does work and it is the same thing. So. Yeah, just really glad that she was able to convince us. And she was also pretty clever because she, you kids, it was like, I don't have a problem, all this kind of stuff and presenting very well, as we know, right? People with half the time you're in a conversation with your kid with, you know, in her case, anorexia, you're like, is there a program for me? Do I need a PHP? Maybe I am the one with the problem. And she also, I never forget this moment. She gave her, she's like, oh, okay, if it's not that big a deal for you here, you've had, you know, you've been in the hospital for dehydration here, drink the zero calorie Gatorade. And then we were like, it, then it was sort of on. And the intake coordinator later said to me, like, I, I 
did that because I thought, hmm, I'm not really sure here. But then it was the reaction that really sealed the deal. Hmm. And I know you talk about JD as someone who had raised children to be quite independent and self-sufficient, FBT being incredibly counterintuitive for your then 17-year-old. Talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So Kinsey is the um, youngest kid in a big family and um, all of my kids are, you know, pretty self-sufficient. I'm big on chores. You know, they were riding their bikes to school earlier than their peers were, a lot of things like that. So that was, you know, pretty important. And then Kenzie in particular, her birthday's in November. And so I would never send a kid to kindergarten when they were four years old, except for then I had a kid <laughs> who everybody was like, you need to send this kid to kindergarten at four years old, right? There's no, there's no way she, and Every single year we do parent teacher conferences and they'd say like, oh, she's so mature, but I guess that's because she's the oldest in the class. And I'd go, no, no, look at the year, not just the much. She's the youngest in your class. And so, you know, had this kid who was, you know, we, I joke, we're, we're all shared the same goals, right? We're just like happily rowing the achievement boat down the river, you know, getting good grades, playing sports, you know, being a good citizen, all those sorts of things. And in her particular case, you know, she knew where she was going to go to college. She had a car. She had a job. She wasn't a hard, you know, particularly hard teenager. Um, And so I was kind of done. Like I was done raising kids at that point. Um, And I was definitely done cooking dinner. (laughs) But um, what I talk to parents about is, is like, you have to look at the situation. Is it will or won't or can or can't? And if you offer some rewards for doing the things, stopping the behaviors, eating the food or whatever. And your super smart kid is like, man, it's not worth it to me to eat dinner to get this thing. You're like, well, then that's because they can't do it because they're, they're not idiots, right? They would, they want the thing. It's really a case for me. And I'm so glad we had such great guidance around this. And it's what I try to bring to other people and have for a long time. Short-term pain, long-term gain. If you jump into the deep end and you really start doing it, you're actually going to, they're going to lose a lot less independence over time than if you sort of slow roll it and you have to kind of keep coming back to it. So I'm very glad that we went very intensely. And it was kind of funny, even in the program, they're like, you know, other people are like, aren't you ready to get out of here? And I'm like, nope, (laughs) because if we're going to do this thing, let's do this thing. Um, so yeah, really kind of have to think of it as it's not forever. It's for now. And the more intensely you do it, you're not going to have to do it for as long. This is a podcast. So people won't be able to see me, but I usually do a thing on camera where I have one arm being vertical and that's the intensity axis and the other being horizontal. And that's the time axis and it's high intensity, less time, lower intensity, longer time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Kinsey, I know you shared in hindsight, you feel like your parents put in just as much work as you did in your own recovery, especially at the beginning, and that it was so crucial to your overall recovery. In hindsight, why was that? Why was that involvement so critical for a successful recovery? And when do you think you, you came to that place where you did have that awareness? I think that if it was left up to me, at that time, I would have just never, I would have never chosen to go to treatment. It would have, would, I was like, ah, I could do this forever. Like, it'll be fine. Cause you, your brain's obviously now working correctly. So yeah, if I had a choice, it would have not been the correct one. And I probably wouldn't be here today. Cause I think once you maybe get to a point where you're like, 
oh, this is serious, it might be too late as the person with the eating disorder. So I think it was necessary for my parents to be like, no, you're doing this and you have no choice because that was the only way it was going to happen. And until my brain started working properly and I was properly nourished, that's what the way it was always going to be. So I don't think it took me a super long time to be like, I would have never done that by myself. Um, it was maybe a little bit easier for me because I was older. So I immediately had more rewards and someone who might be younger. Like I got to go to college. I got to study abroad in college. There was things that were like kind of keeping me going. And I always knew in the back of my mind, my parents are never going to let, <laughs> they're never going to let this happen again. So kind of got to keep chugging along until it, until it clicked for me otherwise. But having the lack of choice was the best thing. And then knowing that they would always keep pursuing my recovery, even whenever I, even if I never wanted to helped with the like external motivation. Yeah. You and I share that it's, uh, you know, I think we both look back on it as the greatest gift in the world because for so long, like you don't even want recovery, believe that there's a problem. And then, you know, I very specifically remember even at the point where I was like, okay, like, I don't want to do this anymore, this anorexia thing. It didn't matter because the the impulses were just so strong to continue restricting and doing the behaviors that I couldn't bring myself to do what I needed to do. And so it was actually such a relief to have that taken off of my plate and to have those decisions being made for that short term by my family. And as you mentioned, then like, you begin to build a life and things outside your eating disorder while your brain gets nourished. So at the point where you hand control back, there are actually reasons to want to want to stay well. Um, I know that both of you have talked a lot about, you know, in addition to the FBT, how helpful dialectical behavioral therapy has been also known as DBT. And I wonder if you could just tell the listeners kind of what is DBT and why was it so important in, in the healing journey? I always saw it as uh, like a skill-based therapy. Like I mentioned earlier, I didn't have a background of like trauma or other emotional things that I needed to personally work through with my eating disorder. So I really related to DBT in the sense that it was like practical. And it was like, if this happens, you can do this, 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 or this. It gives you multiple options, um, teaching you like actual skills that you can use, you know, to regulate your emotions help control your behaviors and stuff like that so that was so crucial because it was I'm a very practical person and then also it's been 10 years I think that I've been I would consider in like full recovery so now I use it way more for just like my personal everyday life than I do for my eating disorder stuff because it's like that's already second nature to me so I'm all around I'm thankful for it because it's helped with everything can you give an example of that in like your life currently? My personal favorite DBT skill would probably be radical acceptance, just because like there's very few things in life you can control. So a small example, like I was going to a bachelorette party with for one of my best friends, and last minute the basically we showed up to this house we we're supposed to be staying at. It was very clear we would not be staying at this house. And everyone's kind of like freaking out a little bit, and I'm like, I didn't have like any reaction. I'm like, okay, well, uh, we're in Palm Springs. So I'm sure there's 8 million other places we can book. I got on my phone and we had a new house in like two minutes. Just little things like that. Like I don't let anything 
it just, it is what it is. And there's literally nothing we can do about it. And like, let's find a solution. I love that. And I would say from my perspective, um, we were very lucky to do, she did DB solo, and then we did it together as a family. And so I think as a parent, um, and a lot of this at home, I did solo because of uh, the way my husband's work was at that point. Um, you need those skills as a parent um, to be able to, or as any kind of caregiver, to be able to regulate your own emotions, um, to not strap into the roller coaster when the eating disorder is absolutely raging. And then also, um, and it's kind of funny because I had a conversation with someone today about this, and she said, We've been doing eating disorder treatment for seven years, and you're the first person that said this this way, and it makes sense to me. And what I said was, Never in the history of being told to calm down has anyone calmed down. <laughs> Never in the history. And the same thing applies to use your skills. Use your skills is DBT calm down, right? That doesn't work. What you need to be able to say is, hey, it looks like you're having a little trouble with this. I think maybe the DBT skill that would help. Would it be okay if we, you know, if we walked through that or that sort of thing? So using it for your own self to help with your own emotions around what you're going through and, and dealing with your child in the moment and then helping them, I think is just vital. I think it's really helpful. And I think as Kinsey said, it improves communication for everyone. There's not a person in the world. I used to be a teacher and honestly, we should be, we should be teaching DBT starting in, you know, middle school at the latest. I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I think something we've all talked about before is just one of the many silver linings of recovering from an eating disorder so young in life is that you do gain these skills that are just so valuable for life for the rest of your life. And in many ways, the work that I now see many of my friends doing in their late 20s and early 30s, like, it's not like you don't have to continue to work on them and brush up on them. But like, we had early training in that, uh, and it it served us very well. And I think when we talk about Kinsey's journey, it can sound like, oh, it was you know pretty easy. And again, no no journey is easy. Um, this one wasn't any different. And you know, she was out a semester of high school. She was out a semester of college. That those were hard decisions to make. We did have you know emotional dysregulation to the point of like hole punched in the wall, that sort of thing. Like behaviors that we and and Dr. Aaron Parks gave me the best language anyone's ever given me for that, the eating disorder driving someone to behave outside their values. So it was clear she never acted like that before. She never acted like that after. But in the moment, there were a lot of things that were very outside my parenting experience to be able to deal with. And that radical acceptance, as she said, that this is where I am, this is what I'm dealing with, and how can I get some skills to get me through it, help her get through it, that sort of thing. Yeah, recovery is a nonlinear journey for everybody. And so I was curious for you, JD, like what were some of the most difficult aspects? I imagine that kind of second bout um, and making the decision to, you know, bring Kenzie home from college was was really challenging. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Well, one of the things that I will give so much credit to Kenzie for from day one is that even though she didn't know she had an eating disorder, she at the same time knew that there was nothing in what was happening to her to be ashamed of or secretive about. Like she was just very solid on, on that piece of things, which consequently meant that there was a lot of people in her life that could bring another set of eyes and accountability. And um, I think it was her roommates noticed when she began to relapse and um, were just, it's amazing to me that sort of roommates that you just got luck of the draw 
could be at that young age. So like, okay, this is the right thing to do. And I believe Kenzie, you can correct me if I'm wrong. They sort of said like, you call your mom or like, we'll have to sort of thing. I don't know. I never, I think they talked to you and I never knew about that until like more recently, I think. But I text, I called you one night. I said, I think I need to come home. And then dad drove out and, and he, he drove out that night. I, th- I think he left. It was, it was nighttime when I called, I think. Well, uh, the way I remember it, as I woke up to a text, I woke up to go to the bathroom at like 4am and looked at my phone and there was a text from you. And so I kind of, or maybe 5am, almost immediately called and you picked up right away. And then we started talking about it. And her dad had gotten in the night before from Salt Lake City, where he was spending a lot of time. And so he's sleeping and we weren't even off the phone. And I was like, Hey, David, get up, go take a shower. You got to drive to, you got to drive to Flagstaff, go, you know, get up, go now. And you, you know, in the context of DBT and all FBT strengthening your family, he was two hours down the road before he knew why he was going to Flagstaff, but he knew that he trusted me. And so, um, you know, I definitely know her roommates were, were part of that. And, um, again, that decision to not like, well, you know, and you know, can we maybe like, let's get a therapist there. Like, you know, that kind of thing. No, let's come home. We, we know what works. And this is one of the like, you know, sort of equip points that now we maybe could do it without withdrawing from school completely. But at that time, equipped didn't exist. It was the right thing to do. And while the first bout was so hard because it was all brand new and had to learn everything and all that, I actually think my lowest moment was, was the relapse piece. And was the moment, you know, she asked to come home and very wise minded, you know, I think, I think I just need some more eyes on and then I'll be able to do it myself. And I don't really think I need more treatment. And okay, you know, that you sound very mature, you know, let's try that. Um, And we did. And just like the first time when she goes downhill, there's no mistaking, she's going downhill. Um, And so I remember, you know, checking the weight and the eating disorder was just like super present. And anybody who's had a kid with an eating disorder knows your child might be lovely, but the eating disorder is venomous. And um, one of the things she said to me, she actually said, uh, and this is the way I remember, like, oh my God, with the crying, you're such a drama queen. You're always with the, you're going to die. You're going to die. This isn't going to kill me till I'm like 30. Just get, get a grip on yourself, woman. It's embarrassing. And it's really sort of like mean, sarcastic voice or whatever. And I closed her bedroom door and outside the room I'm sitting and talking, I literally was in the fetal position in the hallway of my own home. And my thought was, I can't do it again. I left it all on the floor the first time. Can't do it again. And then I had five minutes of that. And then I'm like, well, of course, you're going to do it again, you know, and I think this time she was over 18. This time she did some adult treatment. And can say, I think it's actually really important for you to uh, talk about the role that the adult program had in your sort of like, putting this all behind you. Yeah, that was a huge reality check for me, I think, because the first time I was I was 17, but they put me in the adolescent program. So I was with people similar, like 16, also 17, that age range. And then there was also like little little kids. So like I don't relate to them at all, really. Um, I had maybe a little bit too much fun in my adolescent program. I made some people that I'm still like really good friends with today. And then going into the the adult program, I was the youngest one there. And so I walked in the first day and I just remember I saw like someone in their fifties, like 
people in their mid twenties, people in their thirties. And I was like, Oh no, like this is not, that is, this is not it. Not what I envisioned for my life. So that to me was like, if I hadn't gone there, I think I maybe would have lived in like half recovery my whole life. I think that is what really pushed me to like be able to at least strive for full recovery because I was like, that will not be me. I will not, I will not be the grandma in the treatment program. I don't want, I don't want this to be my life. So to me, I think that was like, aside from my parents making me do treatment when I, the first time around and like going intense with it, like my mom talked about, I think that is like the second most important thing that happened to me in my journey that helped me get to where I am today. I remember having a very similar kind of realization and come to Jesus. And I think it being motivating kind of like, I know I'm not ready to recover now, but also like, I don't, I don't want to be that. And at some point I just need to like really double down and commit and make the decision. And I guess, you know, uh, I think for a lot of people, they think, well, okay, you're 18, like your family can't be involved anymore. So how, how was that, uh, you know, maybe your experience different in the adult program and yet still, you know, it was really critical to have your family involved. I think it was different just in the sense that they weren't involved in like the, the actual treatment, but like going home to the house where I know same rules are still going to apply. I think, I think they just give you that accountability that if you were just going home to yourself or to your friends or whatever, you would not have. So it kind of kept, kept that structure outside of it and just the accountability, I think. You need someone to hold you accountable. For me, that was my family. It could be someone else for another person. But And we were always very clear that you will be in recovery or in treatment. It's You're not going to just be out living a life of partial recovery, those sorts of things. And so we had... Um, you know, we had college tuition in play, which I, you know, we're very lucky to have that. And we definitely used it. You know, I think that one of the biggest traps I see families fall into is they want to be normal. And I just, a new parent on one of the Facebook place uh, boards was saying something about like, you know, how do we do this and, and continue to be normal? And I was like, oh, no, you don't want to be normal. Absolutely. Don't be normal. Like, because if you do normal in this, then this seems normal. This is abnormal. This is not right. Like put everything you can into getting this out of the picture and then you can go forward into a new normal. Yeah. Yeah. Kinsey, how do you define recovery today and what do you think enabled you to get there? I think I probably define it as, or I guess judge it on a scale of like how present I'm able to be because you can, you could essentially live half recovery your whole life if you wanted to. That seems like a level of hell for me. But just being able to be present, experiencing new things without having that part of your brain control you. I think for me, traveling helped kind of like really solidify my recovery because I was like, Oh, like I could not do this. This would be miserable if I was just concerned about what I what I could or could not eat, how how much, when that type of thing. Um, so I think being able to experience new things and enjoy them and actually be present is kind of how I like gauge my recovery. Um, 
because I have lived, I have done both. I've done the half recovery, which was, I was doing before my relapse and I've done the full recovery for the last 10 years. And it's like not even comparable. I'm like, that would have been truly an awful life. I think like reflecting back on that in the end would have been kind of depressing. Um, so I guess that's how I would define it being present. I I love what you said about being present. And one of the things that families are so worried about with FBT is that that will ruin your relationship. And what I say to them is you actually don't have an authentic relationship with your child right now, or your loved one of any age, your person with an eating disorder has no authentic relationships in their life because their number one, their ride or die is their eating disorder. And so that's always going to be between you. So to have the relationships you want to have and you had before, this doesn't ruin them. This gives them back to you because now your person is able, as she said, really beautifully to be present. Um, and I also want to say that one of the most delightful things, we just returned from a trip to to Japan, all of us. And um, Kinsey, I mean, I don't know if you would have been a more adventuresome eater as you got older anyway. Like, you know, who knows? Sometimes kids have more limited palates and you certainly weren't sort of an overly picky eater, but more like not food, not really that big a deal to you. And in recovery, like she's a total foodie and just like enjoys all the foods. And I joke that we, you know, sort of ate our way through Okinawa, Tokyo and Kyoto. And, you know, she's always up to try something new to, you know, try a new recipe, that kind of thing. So that's very exciting to see. I will say, if you have a kid with a restrictive eating disorder, you will never not be happy when you look at the meat. Never. Like, and I'm like, oh, it's in some ways, it makes my life great because I get to watch her eat. And that makes me very happy. <laughs> I love that. And I totally, totally agree. And it's, you know, I, I wonder if you feel similarly, Kenzie. Sometimes you, you, it's been so long now in a strong and active recovery that you don't take the moments to be like, wow, this is like really cool that I'm here, but it definitely is, especially I feel like those moments when I'm able to travel and I similarly would consider myself a foodie. I love trying new restaurants and cuisines and and all of that. And so certainly like being in France last summer and just being able to like really indulge and enjoy, those are the moments when you're like, wow, this is really cool that I've done so much great work and this can be a real like joy in my life. I feel that mostly whenever I'm traveling and I've been lucky to be able to travel a decent amount and then also having my daughter, like being a mom is basically the only thing I've ever known that I wanted to be like career wise, whatever. It's always been kind of like wishwashy, but I've been babysitting, nannying, whatever, since I was like eight years old, all the kids on the street. And so I've always wanted to be a mom. And so that was a big like motivation for me in recovery was like, I can, you can't have babies if you're like if your body doesn't work or if you're sick or anything like that. So I think traveling and then now having my daughter is like the two things where I kind of like reflect and I'm like, wow, like we're here. Like we did it. I was, it's a perfect lead in because I was going to ask you, well, one, congratulations. So exciting. And thank you. I was going to ask you like how that being a mom has changed your perspective on both your own recovery and body image. And then also like, putting yourself in the eyes of a parent uh, and what they might go through when they have a child who's sick. Yeah. Body image. I think it, I mean, I might be kind of weird because I think most people say that they want the baby and they don't want to be pregnant. I've always been like, if I could just 
if I could have experienced pregnancy and like not have a baby at the end, I've always wanted to be pregnant. And I had was lucky to have a good pregnancy. So I feel like it almost like helped my body image. I loved being pregnant and I loved my belly. And now I'm like, I look at pictures and I'm like, oh my God, like that's like the perfect form. I loved, I just loved being pregnant. So I think body image wise that helped. I know that probably wouldn't be the case for a lot of people, but for me, I think it helped body image wise. And then I hope I never have to go through this with my daughter. I hope, you know, she grows up in a world much less, you know, exposed to diet culture, that kind of thing, but more body positivity, body neutrality, whatever I did. But I can't, I definitely can't imagine what my parents went through like on their end. So it gives me a new respect on that side as well. You said you were saying you had an easy pregnancy and you did, but you also had that period of food aversion, which was um, because Kinsey's husband is in the military. She was with us during this time. And like another like parenting highlight real moment was when she had that food aversion, she like immediately went into that problem solver mode. Like I know what to do. Like I've got to get some boost, you know, this sort of stuff. And she just completely, you know, I need to be, you know, I need to be resting because I'm not, I'm not taking as much energy in as when I was eating the whole thing. I'm just like watching her and I'm like, wow, you 100% know how to just manage this forever on your own. Yeah, it is really cool. I, I have that experience of like, it really shows you how in tune you are with your body and like listening to your body's needs. I think it's a, it's a, another great moment of like, okay, like I am so glad that I've done all this work and recovery to now be in a place to be so in tune with my body in this new, you know, this new place. It's also fun to watch her begin to feed her daughter because she's just going on solid foods. And so that's just fun. And also, cause she's really good at it as well with like the, making the baby food and, you know, just the different things and seeing the joy that she has and her daughter discovering new foods and things like that. That's so incredible. So incredible. JD, what, you know, to kind of cap off the conversation, what are some of the typical hesitations that you hear about this FBT treatment model? Because um, I know you hear a lot of them. And what advice do you have for folks who say, I don't know, I don't know if this is for me? Yeah. So I think the first one is that people have been led to believe that um, other treatment forms outside the home, away from the home, are superior. While I think there's a higher level of care has its place and all that, I think we have to also realize that there's been a long history of that being the thing that was promoted, like a lot of marketing around it. And so some people are like, I, I want to send my kids somewhere else because I won't be doing as good a job as someone else could do the professionals. I need to leave it to the professionals. And um, obviously that I, I don't agree with that. And I think whether or not your kid does spend some time away, you will always have to do this in your home. So like, let's start now learning to do it in our home and our daily life. So that's one hesitation. I think another one is, will it ruin my relationship? And it does not. And I think there's research to support that, that families do come through it. They can be stronger, more connected, closer, even if they were highly functional to start with. And then it's hard work. I mean, it's really, really hard work. And you people will just say like, it, it can't be right. It can't be right to have this person screaming at me or like all of these other things. And um, one of the ways I really think of it, and, you know, because she was 17, it would have been very easy to send her away and it would have made some logical sense in some ways. And I also had a full-time job and there was a lot, you know, sort of going on, 
But for me, um, never in my child rearing have any of my kids gone through a really, really awful, terrible experience without me. And I wasn't going to start then. So I think that's something that I tell people if, yes, it's so hard and miserable, and your kid is going to have that hardness and misery, but they'll be without you. Like, you know, so if you reframe it sometimes, I think that's really helpful as well. I also just think, again, that point about recovery, it's not a, it's not a, we went away for three months and we came back recovered. It is a long term process. And so if you're doing it together, you learn how to support them and they learn how to handle all the daily, you know, stuff that happens. And there's things that are going to make you think like, you know, I'm anxious and I don't feel good and I want to skip that meal and they need to learn. Oh no, if I'm anxious and don't feel good, I probably really need to eat. And all of that stuff I think happens at home uh, best. 100%. And I know, you know, we often hear folks say it's going to ruin my relationship with my child forever. I would say that in hindsight has strengthened my relationship with, you know, my parents. Kinsey, I'm I'm curious to hear your thoughts on kind of ultimately what this, what this did to your relationship with your mom. I think for sure it's, it's a lot stronger. I mean, we were fine before, but I mean, it kind of one way or the other, the person who's sick is going to be going through this terribly hard time. And she went through it with me. Like she was putting in work with me. So it's almost like a, like we were in the trenches together for sure. And even though we were kind of fighting each other at first, like we were still there together. So I came out on the other side and like, I can, I realized that she was there with me the literal entire time. So that obviously is going to build the bond. And I would say it's, it's a bond that no one else will have unless they've also gone through it. So I obviously don't wish an eating disorder on anyone, but like I can say things happen for a reason. And I am glad that we have the relationship that we do now because of what happened. hundred percent. And I'll, I'll add to that, that I think the biggest compliment of my life was we were, and I don't know if you remember this, Kinsey, but we were doing a recovery talk together. Um, and what Kinsey said at the end of the talk was, Hey, bottom line, if I relapse when I'm 50 and my mom's 80, she's got me because my mom's always had me. And that is a really special moment that, um, again, best compliment I've ever had in my life. (laughs) I love that. And I think that's a great way to wrap up. It has been such a pleasure having you here, JD and Kenzie. I just have a few more rapid fire questions before we wrap up. Uh, Can you both please finish the following statement with your first thought? Connection is... I would say essential. Um, Connection is possible to build. Body images. Um, Healable. Changeable. You can work on it. (laughs) Ever changing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Body images. I would say the same thing. Body image is something that you can choose to change. Diet culture is. Overrated and evil, probably. (laughs) And I'm going to go with toxic. And recovery is worth it. Hard work, but so worth it. And I would say everything. What words of wisdom would you like to leave our listeners with, especially those recovery warriors who are going into battle with their eating disorder every single day? I would want to say that full recovery is 100% possible. 
the idea that you won't get there is your eating disorder hit. It's like the last little thing that they're holding on to you. I think knowing that it's possible, knowing that you, you, there's no exception. Like you're not the exception to the rule. It is possible. It's hard, but it's possible and worth it. JB. Yeah. I would just say, um, yeah, it's, it's necessary to, to be able to live your fullest life. And I, always want to acknowledge that there's people that will have more challenges around it and more societal constructs that make it more difficult. Um, and I, I think it's worth pursuing. I think it's always worth taking that next step and fighting for yourself. I absolutely agree. Well, thank you both so much for your time today, for the incredible work that you do to be Voices for Recovery and the difference that you're making. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Equip to Recover. Remember, recovery is not only possible, it is worth it. Find out more about Equip and how you can access treatment that works over at equip.health.